Hi there, Jeremy Hutchings here. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question. Are you getting the results you want from the effort you put into your farm business? Would you like to thrive rather than just survive? If you're looking to improve your skills as a farm business owner and thrive, then you're not going to want to miss the next Top Producers Workshop. The thing that sets the best business owners and the top 20% of farmers apart from the pack is that they all spend time working strategically on their business. If you know you need to spend more time on your business rather than in it, but you don't know where to start, then the Top Producers Workshop will be perfect for you. Join me and the Farm Owners Academy team, as well as a host of other like-minded farm business owners, to spend two incredible days working on your business. This could be the most valuable investment you make this year. The first step in creating your freedom farm starts now, but hurry. These events normally sell out months in advance. Head over to farmownersacademy.com forward slash events. That's farmownersacademy.com forward slash events for more details. Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day everyone, welcome again to Profitable Farmer. Um, I hope you're well and I hope many of you are ignoring this and instead replacing it with a beach holiday or something at the end of what I hope has been a really, it's been a solid period for so many of us, but I hope you've had a positive result given all the vagaries of 2022. I was just reflecting on my way here, fixing a bore this morning and arriving here that this is just one of the favourite things that I get to do in my role with Farm Owners Academy. Dwayne Duxon, what's your favourite thing about your role with Farm Tender? Well, thanks, Hutch, and thanks for inviting me on. Um, it's probably, I do a lot of content writing, so I really enjoy that part of it. Um, I suppose we, our guys, our staff and myself talk to a lot of farmers over the over the week, and we get lots of information they relay back to us. And a lot of the stuff that they relay back to us, you don't hear in the you know rural media. So mm-hmm. we sort of pass that on to our um, customers or members in some way, shape, or form, and you know they can take little bits from it that might help them in their business, or you know take it or leave it type scenario. Yeah, perfect. So to all of you, just to introduce Dwayne Duxon, um, for me there are some amazing untold success stories in agriculture, and certainly across our our country, um, so many unsung heroes doing pretty significant things that we don't know about. And what I love about my role in this podcast is the chance to speak with people and share their story. And I'm really excited, Dwayne, to have you with us for this interview and to share your backstory and to share the farm tender and delay pay story. Mate. So thanks for your time and, and welcome to Profitable Farmer. Thanks very much, Hutch, and thanks for having me. So to those of you that don't know, and I'm tipping that most of you will know, um, Farm Tender is an online buying and selling marketplace for farmers and associated ag companies across Australia. 
Um, farm tender facilitates sales of grain, hay, machinery, equipment, and so many other items in our game. Um, it is an amazing success story, and I'm looking forward to unpacking that with you, Dwayne, a bit and just hearing about how it is you and your team have arrived to where you've arrived to. But today, Farm Tender has 62,000 farmer members in Australia and overseas. And in last calendar year, 2022, transacted over $100 million worth of online sales in our industry. So an amazing online platform, an incredible online service that just adds so much value to so many people in our industry. And behind all of that, there's a pretty compelling story. So Dwayne, just on this, how do you reflect given the journey that you've had, and we'll unpack some of that, but how do you reflect on where you've arrived to? Did you ever expect farm tender and delay pay to be where it is today? Oh, not necessarily, Hutch. I, I just started out and, um, on my own and, you know, started doing a few a few different things and had a real interest in the internet side of things um, back probably four or five years before we well, I started Farm Tender. So, no, I never thought it would come to the point where we're up to 60-odd thousand farmer members and we're transacting, you know, over $100 million worth of stuff. So, no, I didn't, honestly. And a team of 13 or thereabouts, Dwayne? Yeah, 13 of us. Hutch, we, we all work remote, so most in uh, country Australia. So, um, guys sit at their desks every day and uh, we've got good systems about, you know, when COVID hit, everyone was working from home. We've been working from home eight years before that, so we had really good systems in place, so it was nothing nothing new to us. Um, but they just they just sit there and um, basically facilitate deals and service our customers, you know, via the phone. So what you see, our website is our and our app is our shop front, but it's a people behind the business that is the guts behind the business. And I think that's a key point. So often we go on and we we do business online and we don't necessarily stop to acknowledge the incredible team that sits behind that service. Just before we launch into this, how would you acknowledge your team? What would you say about them and and you know what would your shout out to them be, Dwayne? Oh, look, we've got a fantastic team. A lot of them have been with us you know, as I think we started this business nearly 11 years ago, a lot of them have been seven, six, seven, eight years with us. Um, they actually love working from home. Uh, they get to, you know, grow up with their kids and take them to school and go and see their sports. Those things for us are non-negotiables as far as work's concerned. Um, they're very loyal and, and very clever and good at what they do. And, um, yeah, they're just a fantastic bunch. And we've We've probably never had our people in the right positions as we have at the moment. So everyone, everyone's in a really good spot. Well done. So if we go back to, I think, March 2012, actually, let's go back further. That's when Farm Tender was founded. But could you just give us your backstory prior to then? I think you grew up on a family farm in the Wimmera um, and made a significant decision with your family to move on from primary production and to back yourself into this enterprise. Um, could you just give us a bit of backstory about growing up on that farm, um, how you operated with your larger family and, and how you came to make that decision? Yeah, I, I 
been in agriculture and grown up on the farm all my life. So we, we've got a farm. It's a mixed farm. My brother runs it now. We call it the family farm, um, about 6,000 acres, uh, merino sheep stubbed and merino sheep and cropping. And it's at Manu in uh, the Wimmera, Victoria. Manu is famous for two things, um, merino sheep studs. There's lots of merino sheep studs. are very famous for that. And Mari's Idol, which is probably the world's greatest ever trotter. So, but growing up on the farm, that's all I wanted to be was a farmer. So, you know, basically you go to school and then you come back on the farm and and uh, apply your trade there. And yeah, we, look, we had a merino stud that was, um, you know, reasonably successful. We probably, when my, my brother's keen, he, he runs it now, but when he, him and I started out, we we're selling probably 100 rams and we got to probably 750 at its peak. We're in the um, SRS system with Jim Watts. A lot of people would remember that. So, and, you know, we, we had a good clientele. And I've all, one thing I've always been um, good at is building building a database. And I was constantly building a database and I was sending out weekly emails to all our RAM clients and things like that. So I love the internet and the connection side of things. But I got a bit frustrated after a period of time and, that I couldn't reach enough customers. I wanted to reach more, you know, I wanted thousands of customers to reach. And yeah, I just couldn't do that with the Merino sheep game the way it was. We were sort of doing something a little bit different with the SRS side of things. And yeah, it um, it was hard to sort of, um, you know, build a business. Like I wanted to sell thousands of rams, but they never really eventuated. And and so, yeah, John, and- why, do you, why, do, why is that? Do you, is it because there's an annual cycle that you've got to, sort of be patient with and that incremental improvement takes time in that game? What, why was yeah. it that you couldn't scale that more quickly? Probably, and we're talking 20 years ago here, and the Merino industry was very traditional back then and back further, obviously, but um, and that I think that's changed a bit now with the advent of ASBVs and breeding bees and things like that. But back then it was re- when you were doing something new, it was hard to break into a traditional um traditional industry and and serve them up something that was new if that makes yep. sense and yep. yeah so we re- we really struggled in that department even though we had good growth it just didn't you know float my boat so you had an interest in building databases obviously mm-hmm. a desire to be entrepreneurial and and grow and create something significant and an interest in internet and online 20 years ago when it was really probably just coming of age. Um, what prompted the change and how did that play out for you? I don't know. I've always yeah, I've always sort of chased my dreams, so to speak, and even, even though I didn't have really big dreams. I was always um, courageous enough to try something different. So, you know, and it was a big move we, when we left the farm or when we decided to leave the farm and I can't remember what year, year it was. Um, I think I was about 35 years of age and I'm 50, 52 now. Um, yeah, it was a big decision. And we we left the farm and you sort of left, you know, relatively certainty. And when we drove out the gate, we were going into the unknown. It was quite emotional, but very, very exciting for the family. You know, we, we, would, we went and lived in Yarrawonga, which is 350 k's away. So I wanted to be still involved with the farm, but just on the, I did all the financial side and the marketing side of things. So I was involved in 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 it that way. And I used to come back to the farm once a month to do all the financials and 
things like that. But, yeah, I, I wanted to go and try something else and I didn't really know what that was. Pretty awesome to back yourself to lead something that offers at least some certainty, um, you know, that of a family farm and back yourself to go and relocate and live somewhere and not know. Did you go and get a job? Did you try a few things before Farm Tender started or did Farm Tender arrive to you fairly quickly? Oh, it didn't, it didn't. Um, I didn't get a job, but I, I tried a few other things which were mildly successful. So we did um a ma- what what was called a managed investment scheme with sheep back then and um that went really well but the 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 guys that were running it they actually went broke but it didn't f- affect our business and we had 30,000 ewes under management and I had 3,000 ewes myself up at Cunnamulla at a property up there and we were lucky enough to buy in really cheap and we had three good seasons and then sell out three years later at the height of the market, which is unheard of, especially three good seasons at Kunnamulla. So I sort of did that on the back of, um, yeah, that was the first thing I did when I left and I really enjoyed that side of things, but it was the internet that was always pulling at me. I think, um, and you and I have spoken about you being at a field day um, and a farmer just making the comment, why can't I sell this stuff on the website? Um, Isn't it interesting how these just passing comments, if you actually hear them, can be the thing that helps you find a niche that can be the thing that scales. So do you mind speaking to that comment? And, you know, you, he might have said that to 10 people, but you were the one that heard it. Yeah, that's it. We, we, that was the start of um, probably uh, just a bit before Farm Tender and we were going to the field days promoting our online business, which was actually a buying service. So, a farmer would go and list that they want, let's say, 200 tonne of MAP, and then the suppliers would all put quotes on. But after a supplier lost five quotes in a row, they'd just say, oh, stuff, this this is no good. So, And we were sort of promoting that, and it was, you know, the farmers loved it because they were getting, um, you know, transparency on their their fertiliser and chemical and things like that. But it wasn't working for the suppliers, and obviously... That's a bit of a two-sided marketplace. So you need both parties, and when one doesn't play, it doesn't work. So, so this guy came along, and I just—I'd love to know who it was. I just can't remember. He's probably list, maybe listening, and he may be registered with us. But he mentioned that, yeah, why can't I sell stuff on your website? And I just—and it just got me thinking. And you know, we, um, my developer and I went. You know, we fast tracked that process and tr- had had something in market, and probably. A month or two, I can't really remember, but it's been the absolute pivot and turning point to our business, that comment. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so how did tell us about the first 12 months, two years of Farm Tender? Um, how much programming was there? I mean, building out a two-sided marketplace, I understand, and I've never done it, is really complex. Because as you say, you've got to get both sides engaged, supportive, um, continuing to turn up. And then you've got to you know, really work hard to scale both sides of the marketplace. Would you mind speaking to how you actually create something like that? Yeah, it's obviously you've got to build. I'm, I'm not a technical person, so I've, I've come with the ideas and things like that. But I'm not. I had to get someone to build the technical side of it, which which is fine. But um, yeah, look, as I said earlier, I love to build a database or databases, and we're lucky enough to have two thousand people in our database when we first started Farm Tender. So it, I guess, you know, we had um, 
we had 2,000 members before we started. So that sort of helped. That Well, that helped a lot because, um, you know, obviously we, we well, I would get in contact because it was just myself at that point, would get in contact with all these guys, do lots of cold calling and, and um, you know, ask them to list items and we'd, you know, we'd do the fake it till you make it type thing where we might make a few dummy ones up and things that just I love love seeing content that's, you know, keeps turning over and turning over. So we, yeah, it was it was a tough to get it going, but, you know, we're lucky enough to have that database. And it's, there's a couple of things we came across and it was back in, you know, 2012, I think it was 2012, but there was a lot of, second grade lentils around in the Wimmera at that point in time. So the Wimmera area is a big lentil growing area and a lot of, uh, had a, they had a sort of a cut-off spring and a lot of the lentils were damaged and they were downgraded and there was no market for them. And it's not like wheat or barley where you can only store it in a silo for so long without treatment. You can store lentils for a period of time. And a lot of these lentils were, I think, two or three years old, I can't remember, and this out of the blue, this buyer came along and you know he wanted to buy all these lentils and we had a really good price and they just there was just no market for it for them. So we you know contacted all the all the Wimmera grain farmers with lentils and we I think we sold up there was something like um, ten thousand ton over the period of time and that really got us going. That was the, the catalyst to you know us earning some revenue and you know allowing us to put other people on. What was your vision back then? For the business when you sort of started in those early days was it to focus on grain primarily or what was what was your vision no that that's probably the smartest move i've ever made in my life is um having multiple categories so doing things like grain hay machinery livestock you know we're involved in um fertilizer and chemical and livestock equipment and vehicles and trucks and all those things that was probably the smartest move i ever made that we you know make it for you know, we call it agri- agricultural or farm stuff, make it for everything rather than just go down the grain on its on its own or the hay on its own because there are other people doing it and they do it very well, but it was probably the smartest move ever made. So how do you describe your point of difference compared to others and, and what sort of competitive pressures do you face every day? Oh, there's competitive pressures every day and we'll go through them a bit later but I wrote mm. something down I thought of it last night um you know everyone talks about the why and things like that and as a planner I've never had a great plan so I didn't have a vision of where I was heading we just sort of woke up in the morning and said oh you know what happens today happens and you never know what would happen that was part of the exciting part of it but I wrote this down last night we love providing a platform that connects people um, through the buying and selling process but most of all, we love servicing that connection. So that and that really sums us up. Like we're ever since day one, I wanted you know making sure that we get back to everyone. You know anyone that inquires through the website, we make contact with them, and I've drilled that into our staff so that we're you know at every attempt we're making you know we're getting back to people and making contact, and that's how we build up really strong relationships with our customers. Yeah, it's such an important point. I love the concept that the point of business is where the transaction happens and the success that we have in business is the value that we can add at that transaction. And in and around that, what's so important 
is the quality of the client experience. And so how many online experiences do we have where it is purely transactional? You go online, buy something, and there's no support, there's no intimacy, there's no follow-up. Um, what I experience with Farm Tender, Dwayne, is that yeah, the client experience and the quality of the care and the service that you put around the transaction, for me, that's the thing that sets you apart. Would you agree to that or is it more than that? No, I totally agree. Um, Parts like things like, you know, just to give an example of what we do, like if, you know, people have to inquire through the website, so we don't have contact details. So we only charge someone if they sell something. So it's a performance-based platform, we like to call it. So, you know, once an inquiry is made, our guys will get on the phone and, um, you know, just contact um, both parties and some will want them to negotiate on their behalf. Some will, some will want to do it themselves. Others will want their hand held really tight. You know, and then we do things like if someone indicates they want to buy something, we draw up a contract so everyone knows exactly what's going on. Um, and then we do the invoicing on behalf of the seller to the buyer and make sure that the goods are delivered before we, you know, send the funds through so everyone's happy in that transaction. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we do by building relationships is the trust build up. So I'd say... Um, that, that's probably the biggest thing. So let let an example of that might be, you know, a farmer inquires about, you know, a farmer in Wagga inquires about, you know, a piece of um, an item, you know, in Murray Bridge, and then they, those guys don't know, know each other from a bar of soap. So our guys get in the middle of that that process and and they'll say, yeah, we know, we know Jono from Murray Bridge. We've been dealing with him for five years. He, what he says is what it is. You know, we've we've got data as long as you're, your arm on how good he is. And that gives that that buyer a, a sense of relief, you know, to know that, you know, that there's an element of trust there. Whereas if he didn't have that connection, you know, they'd, they'd be on guard all the time before the transactions, you know, could go through. So over time, you've got to know your sellers really well and yeah. you can vouch for them in the process. Yeah, very much so. Um and I was fully involved in the sales process. I'm not now, probably for the first seven, six or seven years. And yeah, it, we like build up some terrific relationships. Like I'd have 5,000 names in my phone. And when, you know, guys I haven't spoken to for four or five years, you know, ring up and you say, hey, you going, Jono? And, you know, they say, hey, you got my, well, we talk, you know, back then. So yeah, it's the relationships that, that, that absolutely make it. It's the great thing about this game when this industry that we're in, yeah. isn't it? There's so many good people. How do you reflect? Well, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to navigate? Like getting a business from a standing start to the scale that you enjoy now, mm. it doesn't come easy. And I think often we think that, you know, these overnight successes um, can't have been all that hard to navigate. Like 15, 20 years in this, mm. um, what have been some of your challenges and how do you reflect on the journey? Oh, there's, there's challenges every day. You know, there's there's lots of different challenges every day. I suppose, you know, but you just got to draw it back to the simple, you know, one percenters. And we, we talk, you know, one one listing at a time, one sale at a time, one member at a time. We only ever talk in ones because, you know, that that's how it really works. It's it's such a like it's an industry that only lets you grow at a certain pace. And that that might, I know you guys at farm owners talk about limiting beliefs, and but that might be my limiting belief. But that's the way I've seen it because we've kept records and KPIs since day one. And, it, and the, 
you know, it's about a 30-degree angle our growth all the way through. And it's like it had a little bit of a peak at the um, uh, start of COVID and things like that. But other than that, it's, it's just constant sort of consistent organic, you know, growth. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I've just got that belief about agriculture. It just doesn't let you grow. It only lets you grow at a certain pace. I'd suggest 30% growth is pretty significant growth year on year. Sort of, I meant 30 degrees and I'm 30, 30 degrees. Right. Yeah, graphs, yeah. That's what the graphs look like. They're not very, yeah, um, no. they're not very exciting. You can't put them in front of investors. <laughs> what are, um, what are some of the big growth steps that you've had to take? Like, was it a big step to recruit your first person and build out your team? Um, have you had to make significant investments along the way? Like, what are some of the big growth steps that you've had to had to consider? Blunt? Well, definitely the, the the staff are our biggest investments. You know, um, as I said, we're we're lucky to have loyal staff and um, you know guys that have been with us for a long time, but. You know, onboarding the right people is a is an inexact science. Um, you've got to go through the process and try and try and get it right and um, and hope for the best. And you know, we've had times where it hasn't worked out. And um, yeah, but most of the time we've been pretty lucky. Uh, look, and, and it's it's bit diff- bit more difficult this uh, today as people would be fine as people would know. Um, like just an example, if we put out a job ad, we'd put it out through our network and. We'd have 100 applicants five years ago, you know, and probably two years ago we'd do the same and we probably have 15 or 20, but we've decided to change tack a little bit and especially with our admin side of things, putting on part-time people and all of a sudden we, we've got 100 applicants again. So you've just got to find solutions to that. But definitely, you know, it's been our biggest investment. People are our biggest investment. And if you look at our P&L, that's where all the expense is. Um, the technology side is is expensive as well. Finding good developers, um, good IT staff is always difficult. Um, we did a rebuild back in, um, I think it was 2020, and we did a complete rebuild of our website and we outsourced it to another company and it took them 14 months to do because it's quite complex, our, our back-end system. And then when they when we launched in March 2020, I think it was, um, we had so many things go wrong and, you know, it was just a, an absolute nightmare and we lost, we probably lost a few customers over that and uh, hopefully we've gained a few back since then because it's working working pretty good now. But, yeah, just, just that change and then all these things that went wrong, um, yeah, we, we, we just botched it up, so to speak. So for those people who are finding it hard to find good people and there are plenty out there there does seem to be a lot of concern now more than ever really or more than recently about just the challenge of finding good talent is there anything unique that you do to sort of uncover and find good quality candidates to become part of your team oh you just i've got a big saying you just got to find a way and i don't i don't know what it is for a any any particular individual, but we we just you know went down a different track. It wasn't that that particular track wasn't working for us, so we went down a, a different track. And yeah, we, you got to you got to sell you know sell the sell the other things apart from the wage and the and the role. You know, there's the other things that that'll come into it as well. Like like trying you know it's difficult for farmers. I understand you know you got to get people out into the country and. You know, most of them want, want to live on farms. So you just got to think outside the box, you know. Perhaps there's a you can share a, a 
staff member with with a neighbour or something like that. And, you know, there's lots of different ways you can try, but you just got to keep trying and find what works for you. And you mentioned sort of really tap into the value proposition that you can offer to your team members. And you mentioned before that it's working from home and flexibility and um, a lot of other things in addition to the the remuneration. And it's important to emphasise those things, isn't it? Oh, big time. Yeah, no, definitely. Like it. Very lucky to be able to do these this role remote. We're all very lucky to do that. So it's um, yeah, that's a uh, something that our staff would look at, look back on and say, yes, that's a, that's nearly a privilege. How do you support culture in a business that is remote? You know, you're not all in the same office. How do you describe the culture at Farm Tender, and what sort of things do you do to support that? Oh, Great systems for a start, Hutch. So, you know, and they don't have to be extravagant or things like that. It's, you know, we use Skype messaging as a as a group, group chat type scenario. And we're we're on that, you know, virtually from well, we're on it pretty much all all day. We do things like everyone's, you know, there's there's certain rules around around that. So everyone's, you know, when they get on in the morning, they've got to say good morning, no matter what time they start or when they um we, you know, if they duck off and take the kids to school, they just just to leave, let people know, just ducking off in fifteen minutes, and um, things like uh, you know, anything to do with family and and medical, we is a non-negotiable for us. So people just got to say what they're doing, and and we you know we don't even question or anything like that. You got to you got to build up trust with your team, and you know we we do um, another thing we do is a three o'clock uh, shout around, so everyone. We put a clock up on on the on the um, feed, and everyone types in what they've done for the day, or you know any little snippets of, they've come across, and things like that. But probably the most important thing we do is um, our daily numbers. So we do daily numbers for about twenty five different KPIs. So things like how many signed up, um, uh, how many sales, how many invoices went out, how many. Um, activities we had how many listings all these different kpis and we put them in a google doc and that goes out to every every one of our staff every morning so everyone knows what everyone else is doing so if someone's falling behind or something like that you know we can see but everyone else can see as well so and it keeps our sales guys competitive because you know that's what you want they've you've got to put in the yards to get a bit out of this this game so that's that's how we work at it and it works our systems are really good and, um, yeah, they just work for us. So for me, Dwayne, FOA is the best company I've ever worked with and for. Um, our culture is incredible. And like you, we've got 20-plus team members yep. as spotted across Australia now all working from their farms and from their home, and the culture is incredible. Um, a, a, a thing that I think is the glue of that is the, the, the frequency and the quality of our meetings and our communication, the sort of the daily huddles, the weekly meetings, the monthly meetings, the quarterly meetings, our annual planning meetings. And mm. it's a rhythm there that we recommend to all of our farmer members that are going through our programs. Um, how important is your meeting structure to support that culture and to support that, that dynamic within a remote team? Yeah, very much so, Hutch. We meet every Tuesday morning at 9.30. Um, you know, obviously Mondays are a busy day because you get a lot of the weekend stuff coming through. And um, Tuesday morning at nine thirty, all our staff go on a Zoom meeting. Um, everyone has a has a 
a chance to host the meeting. We do it in turns. Um, we go through a set sort of routine of, you know, what everyone else, what each department's done or what they've got coming up or just a bit of a snapshot so everyone knows. And we all we have a question every every time. So um, the, the person that hosts the meeting puts a question on and it could be about anything and then everyone has to answer that question at the end of the meeting. And that's really, that's a really good bonding thing because, you know, you, you it's more personal side of things that we come from as far as that's concerned. So, yeah, that's a big part of it. So we meet uh, live or in person once a year. So that it's not very often. Um, but, uh, yeah, we and we have really good catch-ups at really social occasions. So, but, you know, we're constantly in each other's pocket through our our systems and our meetings, yeah, they're very important. Couldn't couldn't um, couldn't do it without it. So interesting that you get together once a year. We're the same week together as a team, probably three times a year in yep. person um, at our conferences. And as I say, the the culture and the dynamic is incredible. Um, you mentioned just as a passing comment at the start of this interview, there's just a little one percenters. Um, that make the difference and you know sharing who runs the meeting and you know them being able to ask that question of everyone just for a bit of fun i think they're the little one percenters that can truly make a business a team a culture a recruitment system an induction system absolutely unique so it's really nice just to hear some of those little innovations that you've pioneered just to help support that team and that culture yeah it's great everyone gets to know each other better you know, um, and as you dig a bit deeper, you know, you, you, yeah, as we, we get to know each other better. Like during COVID when we couldn't go out, we recruited a few people and some some of us hadn't met for, you know, been working together for two and a half years and haven't ever met face-to-face before. So it's, and it's the same with our customers, Hutch, you know, like you're talking to them on the phone and you get this picture, you know, I'm talking to Hutch, I've never met him before. I get this picture of what Hutch looks like and how he acts and things like that. And you go to a field day or something like that, and you meet, and you just think, "Oh, I, I didn't think you'd ever, you'd look like that, or you were like that." So it's it's quite, um, yeah. And there's hundreds of those sort of people, you know. Everyone, we build up these really good relationships, and yeah, it's really good to catch up face to face in the end, though. Ryan, what I want to talk about now is just how many projects or ideas you've had and tried. And have for whatever reason gone, yep, no, that's not a starter. I think so many of us don't back ourselves on this entrepreneurial journey just to have a crack at stuff and see how it goes and and to test whether it's going to fly or not. Over your journey, and in addition to farm tender, how many entrepreneurial ideas have you come across or had and tested? Um and either you know continued to run with or decided that they're not a starter. Oh, heaps, Hutch. There's a lot of ideas going through my head all the time. And I'm a vivacious reader. So I get lots of, you know, I'll do lots of reading. So that stems a little bit from there, but it drives our staff crazy when I come up with a new idea. Um, they just all go, oh no, not again. But yeah, like we've what implemented. What are some examples, Dwayne, of things of, of business ideas that you've thought of and tested? Um, and then decided for whatever reason might not be. That's got a you know a group buying um, system for you know fertilizer and chemical. We've tried a um, power broking service, a Ute group buying service. We've tried a 
um, a third-party invoicing um, piece of software. Oh, there's there's probably four or five others that you know we've tried and failed at. But the beauty of what we do, Hutch, is we've got an audience. And they'll just vote with their feet if they don't like it, and they're not responding to it. We know to cut it because uh, yeah, and we've probably had I don't know I'd have to add them up. We've probably had ten complete failures, so ten things that haven't sort of made the cut. But you know, in those ten failures, we've probably had you know, two or three real nuggets of gold, and it's so worthwhile when those nuggets of gold come through. Yeah, I love the concept that your network equals your net worth. You know, you talk about the value of your database and just how powerful that is for you now, but how significant can be for you in testing new ideas but into the future. Um, Delay pay is one of those ones that rose to the top. Would you mind just explaining how it came to be and what delay delay pay now contributes to your members? Yeah, delay pay is a a buy now, pay later for farmers. So basically we give farmers six-month terms um, and it stemmed... It stemmed from how farmers pay through our farm tender platform. So I've got this uh, saying, farmers pay, it's just a matter of when. So some will pay on the spot, some will seven days later, some will pay 14, some will pay a month, some will pay two months, some will pay six months later. But in the in the whole scheme of things, the seller or the supplier wants to be paid on the spot. So that's a that's a that's a the thing that stands out the most. Um, so what we do at that, how delay pay started, I, I went around, I had this idea and I went around, I tried all the fintech companies. I went to Sydney and Brisbane and all over the spot trying to trying to pitch this, um, this delay pay idea at them, but they just couldn't get it because I wanted something that was quick, had to be quick and really easy, so a real low-doc sort of um, option. But they every everyone I went to wanted to attach the back paddock to it, so it was just like a glorified overdraft in that case. Mm. It wasn't going to work. You weren't, weren't going to compete with the banks. But and then I had this guy who actually came to me to pitch his business. So he's a, a guy called Kelsey Miller, who's my partner in Delay Pay, and he he's a, a former banker with the NAB, and he was pitching his business, which was sort of a little um, a um, a livestock agency sort of disruptive business, and I, I, I thought it was a good idea, but it never really, never really took off for him. And I kept at him, you know, what about this delay pay, this after pay for farmers idea I've got? Anyway, never sort of twigged on. And then one meeting, he came back to me, said, "I reckon we can make this after pay thing work." Um, so anyway, we went away and. Uh, we uh, connect because we use insurance. It's a combination of insurance and 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 finance. So we um, went away and got the insurance company. We went went to an invoice financing company, and they agreed to do it. Um, six month terms, which was stretch for the invoice finance company and a stretch for the insurance company. But we managed to pull it off. And and in about uh, I think it was a month or six weeks, we had a product in market. And the first uh, day. We put the product out. We had five five starters ready to go. So, um, yeah, so we, we sort of had a bit of an idea that it was going to work. Obviously, we had the, uh, used our farm tender database to start the business off. Um, yeah, but we've been going four years now, and I think we've sort of funded about, I was probably up to 70 million worth of um, uh, agricultural goods. So, and, and we don't actually 
finance anything. We're just goods traders. So we uh, get the seller to invoice delay pay and then we pay that invoice and then we invoice the buyer and they pay us six months later. So that's that's how it works. And we'll do any agricultural goods. So we'll do, you know, stock feed, we'll do livestock, we'll do machinery, diesel fuel, um, chemical fertiliser, anything that's sort of an agricultural good. And, yeah, it's, it's going really well. It's, it's one of those businesses that just keeps growing every year. And, um, yeah, we're excited about its future. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a perfect complement, isn't it, to farm tender as well? It is, yeah. Yeah, no, and and obviously that's where I got the idea from. But uh, it's the, our point of difference at delay pay is it's quick and easy. Like we can get a limit for a customer up to 100 grand within 12 hours, and then once they've got that limit, you know, they're free to trade. So, you know, we're hearing extensions on overdrafts and things like that up to six months with, you know, taking that long, which is um, ludicrous. So just before we move on, what are you saying? What are you seeing out there and what are your team seeing? Um, you know, my sense is that we've had some real optimism in the industry and in the game over the last few years and, you know, with COVID and now interest rate rises, maybe the sentiment's changing. What's your reflection on what you've seen across the industry as a broad comment and what's your take on what we've got ahead of us? Yeah, it's definitely been a, a fantastic um, couple of years, probably since the you saw a big change. I think it was March 2020. Correct me if I'm wrong. When the drought broke in New South Wales and Queensland, um, a big front came through, and um, that's probably when when it all changed for for everyone. And yeah, we just it's just been buoyant since then. Like our 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 model works. Like if if there's a drought, we do lots of hay and things like that, and Machinery goes really quiet because people haven't got the confidence to buy those sort of things. Um, but then obviously when we come came out of that drought, hay went really quiet. We sold next to nothing for the next two years, but machinery took off. So it sort of complements. But, oh, look, it's definitely been a, a couple of great years. You know, you, you, you know and everyone else, all our listeners would know that the land prices have gone through the roof and, you know, a lot of people have built up a lot of equity in that period. Um uh, farming's changed, um, yeah, but uh, uh, and as for the future, yeah, look, we, we've got our headwinds with our, you know, input costs and things like that. Um, you know, a drought is, you know, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Everyone knows that. So it's just a matter of when. So we, But I think we're better prepared than ever for anything like that, you know, than we have been in the past. Yeah, interesting comments. And COVID obviously thrown in there as well. Um, and that accessibility issue obviously supported, I guess, a lot of domestic trading in machinery and other equipment. Um, do you see that changing into the future? I don't because the supply chains for new equipment are still broken. Um, uh, and that was a big game changer for us because, you know, People would turn to use stuff in that case because um, they couldn't get new stuff quick enough. So it's really the, the used machinery market's been buoyant for a you know for, for ever since the drought broke. Really, um, it went a little bit quiet in November and December. You know, when obviously you guys in New South Wales had a horrendous time with floods, but in Victoria it was a pretty good season up until then. And then it just kept raining every weekend, and people lost confidence. And we uh, 
we we see confidence in in agriculture as the biggest thing, one of the biggest things, because you can see it go up and down really quickly just by talking to people and and things like that. And we saw a drop off in confidence because people lost a bit of control with the season. All of a sudden, they thought their crops would be underwater and their yields would be next to nothing. Um, but that once they got into the harvest, you know, they realised that that wasn't the case, and some of them actually had record harvests in a lot of lot of spots. Mm. Um, so it didn't turn out as bad as they thought. Um, and we're starting to see the confidence be repaired now, and people are back spending again. We've yeah, it's probably happened the last two weeks that we've seen that confidence really lift. So. Confidence is a big reader in agriculture. Like you, you can see, you can just see it drop off, and the checkbooks go in the bottom drawer, and you know um, it takes a bit to get back. But it, it, it turned back really quickly this time. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing that you've attempted yep. in your journey is to go global or to expand overseas. Um, I'm not sure. So many of your members might not actually know that, but Farm Tender really succeeded in Australia and you did back yourself to you actually moved your family I think over to Texas Dwayne and you and Paula and the kids landed in America and you had a red hot crack at expanding farm tender in that market tell us about that and and how do you reflect on that experience probably the greatest experience of my life really is you know lifting yourself up and going to live in another country and and trying to get a business going so we tried to you know, replicate our business over there the same as it was here. It was called 55 Farms over there. Um, we were based in Austin, Texas. My son, and who was, I think, 15 at the time, and myself went over for a bit of a, a two-month two sort of look around and a bit of a fact-finding mission. So we went over there and drove mainly through the Midwest and, and other areas and, um, you know, just checked out things and then came home and and thought, yeah, we can do this. So we... I think I went back for three or four months by myself and, and got it all going and, you know, um, we had to start the business, you know, start a company. We had to open bank accounts and things like that and it's so completely different over there. And then I had to start employing people. So I think I got to about, uh, I think I hired and fired four people before I found the what I considered the right person. Um, and then, yeah, we we just couldn't make any traction. We just couldn't couldn't get anywhere it was um you know it was it was hard yards but oh geez it was good fun you know you know it's just a it's a great place to do business um but if my advice for anyone that's going over there attempting uh in the US is to make sure you employ you know at least one or two um one or two native people over there that you know one or two of the Americans because yeah you just just struggle without it. I struggled. Like people couldn't understand me on the phone, A, because I talked too fast and they just couldn't understand the lingo. Like everything's the same but different over there, if that makes sense. Like they all drive John Deere tractors and and all those sorts of things. But, you know, the lingo is different about how they describe things. So it really takes a lot of getting used to. And, yeah, it's um, that's just my advice. Get someone who's over there. Yeah, it's so interesting. So you mentioned that, it's similar over there. Farming fundamentally and the way they go about it, your assessment is that it's similar. Was it that there was just an immense amount of competition there or big market? You mentioned, you know, even a language barrier, but but what were the reasons why you decided not to stay there and, and continue to crack on? The, the singular reason I found 
uh, difficult was we tried to enter in the machinery market because that that was seemed to be where you know we were successful over here and thought we could make a big impact over there. I'm you know there's not many sheep and I don't know much about cattle. So, but um, and but they just do it different over there with their machinery. They either um, it goes on consignment with the dealers or they send it to auctions. They don't necessarily trade from farm to farm like we do here or farmer to farmer. And you go and you go to these farms over there and there's that much gear on these farms and there's no sheds. It just sits out in the open and there's so many things they could be selling if they had the proper marketplace, but there doesn't seem to be anything like it over there. And I, you know, I, I just couldn't, couldn't, I just couldn't crack it. Just couldn't, you know, I mean, we, we had, you know, we tried and, and we failed, but, you know, it was well and truly worth it because I just learned so much, you know. And always said we'd go back into different guys, but I haven't sort of worked it out yet. Yeah, I wonder if um, if there's a way in which you might take on something like that again. Yeah, it's tempting, but um, I'm having a lot of fun here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a terrific place to do business and, and live and, and things like that, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see how we go on that one. So just just reflecting then, Dwayne, if there was a couple of our listeners, and I'm sure there are, that are sitting there with a great idea, and they're on the farm, on the chaser bin, in the header, getting ready for spraying or whatever they're doing, um, and I'm going to expand this to include everyone. Like it might be a, a young son or daughter on a farm with an idea, or it might be, um, you know, anyone husband, wife, with a book idea, a, a non-farming idea, what would you say to them? I mean, you backed yourself to leave your farm and back yourself to launch into entrepreneurship. I see a lot of people doing some amazing things, leveraging their farm and being entrepreneurial in complement to their farm. What would you say to people who are, are thinking about an entrepreneurial side hustle, if you like, to their farm business? Oh, side hustle, just go for it, I'd, I'd say. Just going back a step probably, I think I wrote about it this this week or the week before, I can't remember, but, I mean, first thing you probably got to do is, is um, you know, choose an industry that you enjoy and, and most people that are in agriculture enjoy agriculture and they just want to do something in agriculture and I sort of pointed out to the young guys that no matter what you, you think you might be, you know, you might be shearing, you might be, you know, working in a piggery, you might be working in a, you know, a farm-based accountancy firm or something like that. But whatever you're doing, as long as you're doing it in your industry, it's not going to be, it's not going to be wasted time for you. So, um, and then when you really decide what you want to do, and a lot of people, you know, <laughs> and we see a lot of farmers, a lot of farmers, you know, I've heard, talked to a lot of farmers and, you know, they go through 20 or 30 years when they, they just do the job, but they don't actually want to be farmers, and not until some a succession or or you know a parent dies or something like that that they actually change and and go and actually do something they really enjoy and think you know why did I do that all those years? Why didn't I just do what I'm what I'm actually doing now? So just yeah, you just if you're interested in agriculture, you know your time's not wasted doing what you're doing, but if you've got something you want to want to really achieve, you just got to get out and do it. You just got to you know drop everything like. When we left, as I said, I worked in the, continue to work in the farm on a remote side, you know, remote, in a remote role. And then I just said to my brother, we've got to do our succession, you know, this isn't going to work for you, you know, 
I've spent 15 or 18 years in the business. You know, I'm, I'm probably want to move on and go and well, I was doing something else. So we actually um, did our succession early. Um, it was painless and seamless. But it, I think, you know, on the succession side of things, probably another topic, um, you need someone to lead in the succession side of things. But, I, yeah, look, whatever you, if you've got an idea, you've just got to go for it. You know, start a side hustle, do something on the side that you're passionate about, um, but just do it. Just you just got to do it. Don't don't hold back. And you know, if you, if you're worried about your family or you know your role on the farm, just talk. You got to talk to people about what your your where your passions lie. What do you think it is that keeps people from backing themselves like you have? Oh, it's a, it's you know, family farms are great, but they can hold people back. You know that they people. You know, the generational thing is, um, you know, there's been, I think there's six generations of Duxons have been on the farm. You know, people hold that really close and tight and, you know, it probably restricts them from actually getting off the farm and doing something, you know, if they really don't want to do it. So, yeah, it, it can't, it can, they're great things, um, but if you're not enjoying it, you know, it can be it can be tough going. So, I don't know, you just have to be honest with yourself really at the end of the day. Yeah, so many of the battles we have are actually with those limiting beliefs, and you mentioned that before. Um, you know, if we inherit a farm or with a third or fourth or fifth generation farmer on a farm, mm. our mindset and our beliefs can be that I've got to not lose what I've been given or what mm. I've inherited. And so right. that can keep us from backing ourselves and being courageous. Um, it can be just as much a fear of success to a fear of failure or you know, but so many doubts and limiting beliefs and fears can hold us back. How have you navigated those? Um, you know, you must have come up against a lot of that limiting or that negative self-talk on your travels. How do you um, observe that and move through it? I don't know. I'm a pretty positive person and and um, I'm a, I don't know whether this is a trait. I suppose it has to be a, a good trait. Where I'm a trust, I'll trust people until they do you a bad turn. So... And I, I strongly believe that you don't get anywhere if you, if you you know if you don't look at it in a different way. If you if you don't trust any people, um, it can get pretty tough to to make inroads on things. But yeah, look, yeah, it's it's um it's a, a fabulous journey. And just getting back, like entrepreneurs, all the farmers are entrepreneurs anyway. Like you can be an entrepreneur in your own business and and create a business that's so different to what you you know, your generation past has created, that's where you can use your entrepreneurial spirit as well within within the business to completely change it and, and go down a different track. Dwayne, a couple of questions just in finishing. Um, what's been the best advice you've ever been given? You've Part of your journey, and we haven't touched on this, is that you're an avid reader, you're an avid learner, you attend lots of business improvement courses, you've had coaches along the way. Um, you do seek out to surround yourself in great people. What's some of the best advice you've ever been given? Um, oh, there's there's lots really. Like the database thing, that's that's one for me. And it doesn't matter if you're a you, you know if you're a farmer and you don't think you need a database, you do. You know, um, communication and systems. Um, oh, when when we did a bit of when we did a bit of work with. Um, with Farm Owners Academy, our weaknesses were planning and budgeting. So that was our 
our big weaknesses. And since we've been work, working with Andrew, you know, that's all changed. We've, we've got um, perspective in that, in that side of it. So we, we do a lot of planning now with our management team in the business and it gives us, you know, it gives us an insight into the future and obviously, you know, never having a budget to having a budget makes a completely, you know, complete difference to, to what we do. I mean, we, right from the start we've been, and someone told me this, make sure you manage your cash flow right and we've been really good cash flow managers because we've virtually bootstrapped this business all the way through. So, and by that I mean we've taken no external uh, funding, so we've you know just built our revenue and, and made profits and um, employed people and expanded like that. So yeah, managing our cash flow. So we do things like you know everyone's got, got to pay tax and you know super and um, we pay commissions to our sales guys. Um, we, we've got a couple other things, uh, dividends to a couple of our, our shareholders and things like that. So we put all that money aside each week. And all of a sudden, you've got no surprises in your business. So even though we've got five or six or seven bank accounts, you know, we allocate what we, th- what we think and it's a certain amount each week into each bank account so that when it comes to time to pay the, the GST every month or the commissions every quarter, you know, it's there, ready to go. There's no surprises. So things like, things like that, like, yeah, just those sort of things that you learn along the way or, or you know, you, you read about or you get told about. Um, are invaluable to running a running a business like ours. Whereas, you know, ours is a completely different to a farm business because we've got no assets. You know, we've, we've our you know d- our database is our, and our platform is our is an asset. But I, if I went to the ANZ Bank and you know wanted to get an overdraft or something, they'd ask where you know where are all your assets. So they wouldn't give me one. So yeah, it's a completely different um, completely different business communication is is a real big one as well like just communicating with your with your staff and obviously your your uh, customers and members what are you most proud of Dwayne? oh just you know being here 11 years later i suppose that's that's um you know you read a lot about how you know people struggle in the first couple of years and you know go out of business i've been in an agricultural business like a a service providing business for farmers, you know, 11 years later, and hopefully we can be here for another 11 and, and beyond because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great industry to be in and, and, and we're in a great luck. Myself and my staff are in a lucky position to, to service farmers and, you know, all our guys absolutely love the, the relationships and the conversations they have um, with the farming community. Two more questions. How's the future look for farm tender and delay pay? What aspirations do you have for the future? Yeah, as you, as I said before, and uh, the planning's not the best side. Um, I, I don't really. I just like to see keep growing into a you know into a business that um, into a business that perhaps every Australian farmer has a connection to. Like um, you know. Like everything, you know, we're not for everyone, and and there's there's people out there that don't use it, but lots of people out there that haven't heard of us. So I, I find that, um, yeah, that's I, I find that it like a really good because we can we can still reach those people. So I'm I'm excited by that. But yeah, I just I love the growing side of things and how we the challenges behind you know making a business grow, and obviously as I said before about the relationships and the communication. That's that's a big part of it. So no lofty, heavy plans, you know, been in it for 
a lot of years now and, and I think I'll continue to be in it for a lot of years down the track. But sometimes the best plans are just constant improvements and continuing to tweak and make those 1% improvements and on the back of that, just that incremental growth that you talk about. I think that, yeah, and enjoying it. You've got to enjoy it. I think as um, soon as I, you know, like the retired football or cricketer that it's probably not going as well as they should, um, yeah, there's got it sort of tells you when it's time, but, you know, I haven't found that time yet. You know, as as we move through, you know, my role becomes less in the, in the you know, work side of the business as far as an operational side. You know, it gives me a chance to go out and try new things, come up with new ideas and, and you know, improve on some of the things that we already do well, reasonably well. Last question, Dwayne. What would you say to a younger you, a 20-year-old you, if you were giving them giving him that nugget of advice to send them on their way, what, what would that piece of advice be? Look, I probably wouldn't change much because, as I said before, being a 15-year, you know, running in, uh, a family farm was so invaluable to where I am today. So, look, to tell me, to for any youngster, as I said before, if you're in agriculture, don't despair. You know what you you might be doing what you eventually want to do, but what you're doing now is going to lead you to where you want to go, um, and it's going to play an important role. So, yeah, that that if I did, I wouldn't really change much. But um, yeah, just I mean, when when the time was to pull pull the trigger and have a crack, you know, you got to do it then, and that's what we did. And you got to you got to put yourself in a position where you sort of half sacrifice everything, so there's no turning back. You, you've got to do that, otherwise. You know, you can't keep uh, having your foot in, you know, two camps and, you know, tr- playing one off and the other. You've really got to, you've really got to go full in. I think that's almost the theme for this podcast is, and and that's he's such a great example of someone who has just, with Paula, just backed yourself, made bold decisions, um, yeah, stepped into the unknown with courage and conviction and. You know, the rest, as they say, is history, Dwayne. It's an awesome story to share and, you know, it is quite amazing to think about, um, you know, where you've come from and what you've achieved um, since 2012. Really appreciate your time. Um, I've really enjoyed just sort of unpacking a bit of Farm Tender's backstory. I hope we've done it justice, Dwayne, and um, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Hutch. Can I just make one little plug? Of course. We've got our... We've got a. Our Farm Tender 2023, uh, the Business of Farming conference on March, Friday, March the 3rd in Bendigo. Um, we've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, including, including your good self. So um, I'd really like uh, just go to the website and it'll be on one of the links there. Uh, if you can attend on that, on that day, it'd be fantastic. Um, it'll be a farmers event. So I mean, we go to a lots, I go to lots of events where you know, they're sort of half pitched at farmers, but there's no farmers there. And then the speakers aren't really talking about farming as such. So they're agricultural events, but they're not really farming events. So this one's totally for farmers and all our speakers are going to be talking about um, things that affect farmers' day-to-day lives. And uh, we hope there's lots of takeaways that people will take take home and use in their business to um, improve it. So you've beaten me to it, Dwayne. I was going to do a wrap up, a wrap up to this podcast. I just and couldn't help, couldn't help. Your event, a play. I'm glad you haven't missed that opportunity. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to being part of that. And to your point, I think the lineup that you've got 
and the intent with how you've gone about creating that lineup with a view to try and add as much value as you can to those that attend as farmers. Um, it's going to be a cracking event in Bendigo and we'll share the link to your website and details of that conference in the podcast intro that goes out with this. That'd be fantastic, Hutchin. Yeah, thanks again for the opportunity to be here. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That's great, Dwayne. It's, um, as I say, it's been great to share your story and we look forward to seeing how our friendship and our partnership between Farm Tender and FOA can grow and evolve over time as well. Yeah, and just to just to finalise it, you know, you guys are doing a great job and um, I see some of the farmers at camp come out the other end and, you know, it makes a huge difference to their lives and their businesses, you know, just by having the expertise that you guys hand, hand, hand on. Appreciate you saying that, Dwayne. And thanks, mate, for being open and reflecting and sharing your story. And let's hope the next 15 years are as significant and as successful as your last 15. Congratulations on all of your success. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.